Uh, Would you turn in your Bibles with me to uh, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1. I am finding myself, very honestly, um, a little disturbed by the political discourse in our country today. Um, Now, don't be mistaken. Um, I'm not here to make a political statement. I'm here to just say that there is something that's happening within our country um, over the last number of years where we have stop listening to one another. We started to attack one another. Uh, the method is, is the same. Whatever political party, it starts by delegitimizing the person's mission. You basically say that this person doesn't deserve to be in the role that they're in, so you delegitimize them. The second attack that happens in our world today is that you demonize them. You start to attack their character, you start to attack their conduct, you start to attack their motive. What is the reason why they're in this mission today? So once you've done that, it's actually pretty clever, um, because once you've um, demon, uh, once you've gotten to a place where you've delegitimized their position, their mission, and then you've demonized the person, their character and their conduct and their motive, then you can devalue, you can discard, you can forget anything that they do, their message. It works. And don't, don't be mistaken, those that are here that are on the right will say that the left is doing that today. But very honestly, the right did that with our former president. We have this tendency in this country, sad to say, is that we just delegitimize people and we we demonize them. And we devoid ourselves of hearing their message. Well, that's the attack that was happening against the Apostle Paul. There's nothing new under the sun. See, his message was there. And the way that you were going to attack his message was you delegitimized him. Pastor Tim got to that last week. He's not a real apostle. Or you demonize him. He's a man pleaser, which we're going to hear today. But ultimately, what you want to do is you want to distract and you want to deny the message that the person is giving. So I want you to consider that today, even as we think about this passage, but I also want you to consider that today when we think about those that are in our leadership. The Bible calls us to pray for our leaders. The Bible calls us to um, be there to support, not to attack. We can disagree vehemently with beliefs, but we're not called to attack one another. We should be something different as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that as we, as we open this passage this morning, as I said, there's really nothing new under the sun. Father, I guess the one thing that the discourse today is telling me, which I've already known, is that political leaders are not our Savior. We only have one Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This country is not going to be saved by 
presidents or senators or congressmen or, or Supreme Court nominees, this country is going to only be transformed by getting a hold of the gospel and understanding the person and the work of Christ. It's so important. Lord, help us to see that uh, we are in danger if we miss the gospel, because if we miss the gospel, we miss heaven. So, Father, help us to hear Paul's concern. Help us to hear Paul's passion. Help us to hear Paul's message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so Pastor Tim got us um, started last week in talking about this gospel. This gospel message is so vitally important. And Paul began, and his, this whole section is about a defense of his gospel message. Uh, and in this gospel message, he is talking about the truth of how people are saved. Uh, Christian uh, historian Richard Lovelace said this about Christians who miss the gospel. Many Christians below the surface of their lives live guilt-ridden and insecure lives because they draw their assurance of their acceptance with God from their sincerity, from their past experience of conversion, or from their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious willful disobedience. I don't know if you hear it, it's a little bit long, but what he's saying is this, that most Christians today that are drawing their acceptance or their security of their relationship with God, they're drawing it from the things that they do, not what Christ has done. And inevitably, when you do that, you're going to find yourself opening yourself up to greater insecurity, greater fear, and you could be missing the gospel completely. So Paul is so concerned that they get the gospel right. So he's talking about this perversion of the gospel that has been happening. He talks about the fact that real redemption is only going to come from the person and work of Christ. What Pastor Tim talked about yet last week was this idea of legalism. Scott McKnight defines legalism this way. It's adding to the gospel by subtracting the sufficiency of Christ and the Spirit. You see, if we add to Christ, if we add to his work, we are saying that his work was lacking. It wasn't good enough. And there are many religions in this world today that may say that they profess Christ, but they profess Christ plus. And when you add Christ plus, you've denied Christ. And that's the problem. You lose the gospel. And so what we have is this distraction from the gospel, the doubt of the gospel, the distortion of the gospel, the distrust of the gospel, and the denial of the gospel is going to lead people to hell. And Paul is concerned. He is so vitally concerned that if you do not get this right, you're on a broad path to destruction. Jerry Bridges put it this way, that the gospel is not only the most important message in all history, it's the only essential message of all of history. Yet we allow thousands of professing Christians to live their entire lives without a clearly understanding or experiencing the joy of it. If you remember, Pastor Tim last week had talked about the fact that it's grace and peace which lead to joy in your life. You cannot have real joy in your life if you don't have the truth of the gospel. John Stott said this, all around us we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp on the gospel, fumbling it, and in danger of letting it drop out of their hands. 
So, my brothers and sisters, I, I just need you to understand that what we're dealing with today is so vitally important. You can't miss this. And, and we fail the gospel many times because you're, I'm going to show you that there's a legalist in that, inside of every one of you. There is something within inside of you that wants to believe that I can do this and earn favor with God. And it's a lie right from hell. Well, let's look at this passage right here in um, Galatians chapter 1. We'll pick up at verse 10. I'm going to grab verse 10. Uh, PT had hit part of that last week. I'm going to grab that and then take us forward. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so now this is what they were denying. Remember, you want to delegitimize their mission, you want to demonize the person, and then you devalue their message. So part of what they were trying to do in delegitimizing Paul and demonizing him is to say that he is only doing this so that he will become popular. It's kind of crazy when you actually hear the gospel. It goes against human pride. It attacks human pride. But what they're saying is that Paul is giving an easy believism. That the real gospel is that you need to do Christ plus. Paul is just saying all you need is Christ and it's too easy. And, and Paul is saying here, wait a minute, my first defense is this. If I'm preaching a gospel that's for the approval of man, wouldn't I be adding to the gospel? Wouldn't I be saying that you have to do something in order to earn God's favor if it was really man-pleasing? Man-pleasing is not to say you have nothing in your hands to bring, that you simply to the cross of Christ you must cling. That's not man-pleasing, Paul says. And if I'm trying to please man, I would still be doing some of the things I've done before. So Paul's first argument is this. That the people that are troubling you, the people that have come in and invaded you, are trying to add to the message of the gospel. I'm not. I'm giving you the pure and clear gospel message. I'm not trying to do this to win favor of you. I'm trying to do this so that you will be saved. So that you can see that grace is enough for you. Verse 11. For I, I would have you know, brothers. It's actually pretty strong. It's in the emphatic in the Greek. I, it's almost like a statement of judgment here. I want you to know, brothers. And he's talking to Christians. He's talking to other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the gospel that I preached, uh, that was preached by me, is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are two religions in this world. I, I usually ask my students this, how many religions are in this world? And, and, you know, they'll run off a number of religions. And inevitably, I'll boil it down. It's not hundreds, it's not thousands. There's two religions in this world. The two religions in this world, one is where humanity is doing everything to earn the pleasure of the God that they are looking to please. Or it's a religion of grace where the God of that religion has done everything for you. You merely need to believe it. And what Paul is saying is this, that man-pleasing religion is this path where I'm adding constantly to it, I'm going to fail. For I want you to know, guys, this is not humanity's gospel. Humanity's gospel would be adding to it. I've received a revelation from God. Verse 13. Paul not only starts with the first offense that I didn't get this from anybody else, the second offense is what we heard 
just weeks ago in testimonies as we uh, baptize people. His second is, I got a former life. Let me tell you about my testimony. For you have heard of my former life. You know, if you're not opposed to writing in your Bible, I actually have that line circled and highlighted. My former life. See, the gospel is about having a former life. A transformed life, that I am different today than I was before. That if I'm exactly the way I was 10 years ago, the gospel is not transforming me. That I should be different in my thoughts, different in my actions, different in my life because of the gospel. And Paul said, I had a former life. Let me tell you about it. My former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among the people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So his defense number one is this. I received this from Revelation. Nobody taught this to me. His defense number two is this. I have a formal life. I was transformed. Now, now many of you know Paul's life. Prior to his Damascus encounter, Paul attacked the church of the Lord Jesus Christ violently. If you read in the book of Acts, you will find that he was there on the day that, um, I just lost it, Stephen, thank you. Stephen was uh, uh, murdered. And then after that, you will find that he went to imprison, probably kill, destroy. He said, I wanted to destroy the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to destroy the church of God. And not only did he do that, then verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. If you talk about legalism, I was telling my son as we were driving here this morning, do you know that the Apostle Paul, to be a Pharisee, would have had to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? He spent time in the word. The word was in his mind. And he was so zealous for the word. But he missed Christ. And Paul said, I did a lot of evil things. And Paul said, I did a lot of quote unquote good things. But none of those things was pleasing to God. I guess I'm thinking about those that are sitting here in this room this morning, that maybe you're thinking about your past life, the things that you did, the things that you did in your past that you don't, you can't possibly believe that God could forgive. You can't possibly believe that anybody could ever love you or accept you, let alone God. How could God ever love me infinitely? How could God ever accept me totally? How could God ever forgive me because of my past life? And then I ask you to look at the Apostle Paul. How many of you have murdered people? How many of you attacked the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you have imprisoned Christians? I would say the vast majority have not. But that man could be saved. Maybe there's some in this room that think you're a legalist. I sit sometimes with clients in my office and I say, what is the one sin that God is working on in your life? 
and you get a blank stare. Do you, do you have a sin that you think God is working on in your life? A blank stare. And that's telling me that they believe that they're keeping the standard right. And Paul was there too. So some of you here are guilt-ridden and condemning yourself because of what you've done in your past. Some of you are sitting in this room are legalists because you don't believe that you do anything wrong. And the gospel is for both of you. Because the gospel tells you this, that for the guilt-ridden person, there is grace and there's hope and there's forgiveness in Christ. And for the legalist that's in here, the law is there to condemn you and to bring you to your knees, to bring you to the only person that can save you, Christ. One of my favorite authors, Jerry Bridges, put it this way, your worst days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. But your best days for you legalists are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. See, the gospel tells me that I need to change and I need to trust in Christ. And what Paul is doing is this. He's refuting that this is not about me. This is about you. It's about Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart from birth before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal to me his son in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul moves from the fact that I didn't receive this gospel message from somebody else. Number two, that my former life, I've got a former life. I am different today than I was before because of Christ. I was on a road to Damascus to destroy the church, and God rescued me and transformed me. And now Paul is saying this, but God, I love those but gods, right? Against the backdrop of his life, which was so dark, the brilliant light of the gospel came, just like Paul riding on that day on the road to Damascus and the bright light of Christ shone and his eyes opened up for the first time and he, he could see Christ. He could see his Savior. He could see the one that he has sinned against and the need of his Savior. But what amazes me about this is that God chose him. It says, he set me apart before I was born. See, it is not by mistake that you're sitting here in this room today that God sovereignly ordained that you be here today. And for those of you that are in Christ, God has sovereignly ordained to bring you into faith. And for those that are not, that will be in there, God has sovereignly ordained that. He has set us apart. He's chose us. He's chose us. It says, but he set me apart before I was born. Before Paul had ever done anything good or bad, God had chosen him. But not only did God choose him by his grace, but then he called him by his grace. It says, and who called me by his grace. He, he revolutionized. He brought him out. He drew him to faith. He didn't just call him by name. He called him in his very heart. He radically changed this man. God, by his grace, chose him. God, by his grace, called him. But God, by his grace, grace gave him clarity. I, I told you that he had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knew those books well, but he did not know them clearly, and he did not know them truly. 
You remember when Jesus was, um, after his resurrection, he's walking around with those uh, disciples, and he said he was opening the scriptures and showing where he is there in the Old Testament? That's exactly what he did with Paul. He, on that road to Damascus, and in the years later, he is showing him that in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all the way to Malachi, it is all about Christ. And now the verses that Paul had memorized as a young man, now he says, I can actually see. God in his grace has chosen him. God in his grace has called him. God in his grace has given him clarity, but God in his grace has commissioned him. It says, when I was pleased, when he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach the gospel. Once again, some of you have a former life. God wants to give you a transformed life, and then God wants to give you a life that can be used for ministry. He wants to use you to share the good news of the gospel. Defense number one is I didn't get this gospel message from another human being. Defense number two is that I have a former life, a transformed life. Defense number three, when I went to Jerusalem, they didn't teach me at all. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. Now, why is Paul emphasizing 15 days. Paul is emphasizing 15 days because he wants you to know that there is absolutely no way that he could have gotten a seminary degree in two weeks. He did not get his training from the apostle, from Peter. He just spent time fellowshipping with Peter. That's it. But then I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He wants to be precise. In what I'm saying to you before God, I am not lying. Paul got his message from Christ alone. He didn't get his message from the apostles. Paul, like all the other apostles before him, had received their commission and their message directly from Christ. It's interesting to me, and I don't want to read too much into it, but it says here in verse 18, then then after three years I went up to Jerusalem. How many years did Jesus spend with his disciples? Three years. How many years did Jesus spend with the Apostle Paul before he went into ministry? Three years. So it's interesting to me that I believe in that three-year period of time, Jesus Christ is opening up the scriptures to the Apostle Paul. It's not coming from Peter. It's not coming from James or John. It is coming from the Apostle. It's coming from Christ himself. So you want to delegitimize my ministry? I'm telling you, it came right from Christ. You want to demonize me that I'm doing this for the applause of humanity? People are against me because I'm preaching this gospel message. You want to distort my message? You can try to distort my message, but my message just came from the same person that the apostles got it from, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, then I went up to the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea and to the, uh, uh, those that are in Christ. They were only hearing this, that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once destroyed. What an incredible testimony that is. See, his former life became a transformed life, which now is a God-glorifying life. 
this former life that I was a persecutor, a violent opponent, now is a transformed life by his grace and for his glory, is now a God-glorifying life. People are worshiping God because of the changes that they see in my life. Isn't that what you want for your life? That's desperately what I want for mine. See, I want people to be able to say through my life that God is great and, and God is good and God is gracious and God is generous and God is to be glorified. Is your life reflecting that? That's what Paul said. This is not me. I was a murderer and now I'm preaching the gospel. Something radically changed me. Paul continues his argument. He says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Stop there for a moment. Okay, so now Paul has argued, number one, that I did not receive my message from humanity. Argument number two, I have a transformed life. I have a former life and now I have a transformed life. That proves the gospel I'm telling you. Argument number three is that when I went to Jerusalem, they didn't teach me. They just confirmed that they were with me. And the acid test of this is Titus. Now, we'll read more about this as we go through the book of Galatians, but here's the issue. You can be saved, but you have to follow the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. And one of the ceremonial laws, purity laws, the only way that you could be accepted before God and viewed as pure and righteous in God's sight is to keep these laws. And one of the laws for a man is that you had to be circumcised. That's the issue. You can't truly be saved, the Judaizers are saying, unless you are circumcised. We could say it today. There are some churches today that teach you cannot truly be saved unless you go into the waters of baptism. You cannot truly be saved unless you're a member of this church. You cannot truly be saved unless you give this offering in this church. You cannot truly be saved unless you read from this scripture, type of translation of the scriptures in this church. Whatever you add to, you are diminishing the gospel. So Paul is going to say that the acid test is this. I am going to bring Titus, who's a Greek and uncircumcised, to Peter and the leaders. And if they do not say he needs to be circumcised in order to be in fellowship with Christ, then my ministry is confirmed. So I brought Titus. Paul went there because of a revelation. God, once again, is revealing to Paul and, being le- and Paul is being led. He's not going there for authorization. He's not going there for authenti- uh, authentication. He is going there not because his gospel is lacking or inadequate. It's not because his apostleship is inadequate. He is going there for one reason only. Is this gospel message that we're all preaching true? Verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. Some beautiful words there. That you can be in the the relationship with Christ simply by faith alone. Not by any works that you do. 
Though we are commanded to go into the waters of baptism like some of you did, that did not earn you any salvation. I wear a ring on my finger. That doesn't make me married. I take the ring off. I'm still married. So the reality is this. You add those things, it adds nothing to your life. And Paul says, I took Titus. And Peter, James, John, none of them said he had to be saved. In fact, what they did was they fellowshiped with Titus. Verse 4, And yet, because of the false brothers secretly brought in to slip in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that we might bring us, they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. See, the Jerusalem leaders did not fail. They did not fall to peer pressure. The Jerusalem leaders did not add to any enslavement, no rules. Because when you start to get on that rules basis, you are going to be on an endless treadmill of insecurity. And all the fear and all the guilt and all the insecurity that you are living with if you are in Christ is probably because you're on a a treadmill of insecurity, a treadmill of works. And what Paul was saying is this, these false teachers are trying to uh, hinder your freedom. And the gospel brings freedom and grace. Verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I would say, who seem to be influential, these are the Jerusalem leaders, added to me nothing. They added nothing to Paul's gospel. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcised, just as Peter was uh, entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, fancy words for saying, Peter had a ministry to the Jews, Paul had a ministry to the Gentiles. They were confirming, the Jerusalem leaders were confirming that Paul was right, Peter was right, go and minister. Verse 8, for he worked for Peter and for his apostolic ministry, to the circumcised, the Jews, worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when Cephas and, and James and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. You know, um, some churches, when a person comes into membership in their church, you give them the right hand of fellowship. And when you do, do that, what you're doing is basically saying, I'm in partnership with you. I'm in fellowship with you. I agree with you. I am in friendship with you. You stick out your hand to say, I'm a friend to you. So Paul's saying this. My mission has been delegitimized. But my mission came from Christ. And they've tried to demonize me, but the reality is, I'm not doing this for favor. I'm doing this so that you will be saved. And they tried to devalue and disregard and distort his message. And Paul said, this message came from Christ and Christ alone. So this morning, I I guess I would ask you this. Are you one of those people that sit in this room today that are legalist? That you sit here and you really can't think of any sin that would hinder you from being with Christ. And if that's there, I would ask you to go back to God's word and look. Because 
our sin points us to a savior and it points us to the fact that we are, find our ultimate satisfaction in only one person. That the guilt for some of you that sit in this room, guilty because of the things that you've done in your past, believing that it is impossible for the cross of Christ to be big enough. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. God says that in this grace, I want you to know that your guilt will go to grace. And when you understand the guilt and the grace, it will lead to ultimate gratitude in your life. Paul is so vitally concerned that if you add anything to the gospel message, you take the gospel message away. You know, today we don't talk about hell very often. Sad to say. Um, We don't talk about a God of wrath very often. Sad to say. But there is a God who hates sin. There's a God who hates sin so much that he was willing to punish his own son. And he poured out his wrath on his son. Surely he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Christ was wounded for our transgressions. For every legalist that's in here, Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised and crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon Christ. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. But the Lord, the Father, laid upon the Son the iniquity of us all. Freedom. Oh, I long for the day when I can say that I have freedom. Jesus came my way. What a happy day. I was walking in darkness to the light. He set me free. He gave me the right to say he, he who the Son sets free, is free indeed. Oh, I'm free from the chains that bound me, free from the day he found me. Oh, he opened up a way. He brought a better day. I was living in sin and the relative peace within till Jesus set me free when I let him in. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So Lord, I pray that you would um, keep us far from going back. Father, the gospel message is clear. You're the righteous one. We are sinners. We deserve hell. You gave us an opportunity for heaven. You've given us one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Paul was able to say that I was blind and you have helped me to see. Paul talked about those that are blind and going to an eternity in hell right now are those that don't see the beauty of the gospel. 
But just as you did, Lord, in the day of creation, you said, let there be light. Father, I pray that there would be light in our lives. Paul was on a reckless abandon on the road to Damascus, but you rescued him. Not because of anything that he did, but because of what you did. You chose him. You called him. You changed him. You commissioned him. Do that for us today. Father, help us to bring glory and honor to your son's matchless name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.